Our lesson this morning comes from Romans chapter 6. And our key text, really there could be a lot of them, but I wanted to look at Romans 6 verses 5 and 6 for our scripture reading this morning. Here the Bible tells us, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Romans chapter 6, in all reality, answers a question from Romans chapter 5. And this morning I want to look at the idea and show very clearly from Romans 6 the freedom that Paul is talking about, the freedom we have when we obey the gospel, the freedom we have from sin. As we begin looking at Romans chapter 6 this morning, I want to begin with the idea of bearing the sinful man. That may sound extreme, but in all reality, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, not only here in Romans, but in other uh, scriptures as well in the New Testament, that idea of putting to death the old man. And we begin in Romans chapter 5 this morning, in reality. And these, uh, many of these things will be on the screen here for you this morning, but we begin by asking the question that grace may abound. This is a question that is being answered. It begins in Romans chapter 5, and you'll have to have your Bibles out with me this morning. I'm not going to have all the scriptures on there. So, the Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when we read that text in Romans 5, 20 and 21, the question may, may arise, I think oftentimes does, is it the idea that when we sin, that grace will abound more and more, so the more we sin, the more grace abounds? Well, we answer that question in the very next verse in Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2, or actually verses 1 through 4, rather, when Paul asks that question. Now, I love when Paul does this because it's almost like sometimes he's reading people's mind because he knows where they're going with it, right? Because when you finish chapter 5 with the idea of where sin abounds, grace abounds more and more, but look what he says in chapter 6 and verse 1 through verse 4. He's asked the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a direct question related to the first, those last two verses of chapter 5, isn't it? And he responds there in verse 2, Certainly not, or as King James says, God forbid. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. Grace, as we find there in Romans 6, 1 through 4, does not give liberty to sin. You know, we have those who will have this idea that we know, well, and I've heard, <laughs> it's been many years ago, I remember one of my old employers, one of my old managers, said, well, you know, I just hope that God's grace will cover it, that God will understand. And I remember thinking then, and it hasn't changed much, 
What a ridiculous idea. And also, in all reality, a very scary one, isn't it? I hope that God's grace will cover it. You know, in his statement, he admitted several things. One, he had no assurance whatsoever. Two, he knew that he was in the wrong. But God's grace will cover it implies he's committing sin and he knows it. Those are two very sad things. I hope that God's grace will cover it. But we find here in Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, an answer again to the latter part of chapter 5, and that is that grace does not give liberty to sin. We think about that idea at verse 1 when he says there, Romans 6 and verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now he's talking about those who have obeyed the gospel. Because as we'll continue going on here, he'll talk about those who have died in Christ. And we find the idea of dead and alive, dead and alive, over and over again in chapter 6. And so we find here verse 1, and he says, What shall we, that is a reference to followers of God, those who have obeyed the gospel, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, the sin they were doing previously, that, he says in verse 1, that grace may abound? Certainly not. That tells us that that's not what Paul was saying in Romans 5, 20 and 21. How should we who died to sin... Now, who is it that has died to sin? We'll look at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What is he talking about? That those who have died, or those who have obeyed the gospel, they have died with Christ, were buried with him in baptism... Right? Because that is part of God's plan for man's salvation. You can't be buried with someone unless you are baptized. And we find here in verse 3, we are buried with Christ in baptism. And we find there in verse 3, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. Verse 4, That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we come out... We say sometimes that a watery grave of baptism, we're not supposed to be the same person we were before. And that's the point that Paul is making there in verses 1 and 2. Should we continue in sin? Should we just keep doing what we've always done, that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. We want to realize next, we want to live like the new man, as you find here in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. We do not live like the person we used to be, the person who was a slave of sin. Romans chapter 5, Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. Uh, those with me here, verses 5 through 7. For if we walk united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, united together really is not the best phrase there in, in verse 5. When you look at the Greek, it says, we have become, we become united with Christ. Because you're not united together until you have been baptized. And so we become united together, closer together with Christ at baptism. We have, been, we have been brought close together with God, with Christ, together, he says, in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Since Christ died on the cross, and he uses the idea of the old man being crucified with him, does that imply the old man to be put to death? Yeah. The old man is a reference to our old way of living, how we used to live prior 
through putting on Christ in baptism. And so when he says this here in verse 6, that our old man was crucified with them, that the body of sin, I notice, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If we want to walk in newness of life, and we are putting off the old man, we have to be buried with Christ in baptism. And we have, we have been buried with Christ in baptism. That old man does not stick around with us, right? We are that new creature. We're, we, we rise in that newness of life. He says in verse 6 that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Slaves here is the idea of being a servant of sin. He'll talk about here in a moment the idea that you are a slave to whom you obey, whether it's righteousness or unrighteousness. Meaning what you do defines who your slave really is, right? If you live however you want, committing a sin every day, each and every day, doing whatever you want to do, then you are a slave of unrighteousness. But if you are following God, putting Him first, obeying His commands, you are a slave unto righteousness and not unrighteousness. Look at verse 7. We are told we are, to be, we are to die to be freed from sin, verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That is freed from the bondage of sin. Because when we're under bondage of sin, as we'll talk about later, we know that everything has a price, including sin. So when we're under bondage to sin, we're under the bondage that's going to come with the idea that there are consequences to that, which include spiritual death. But we have died, he says, therefore he who has died, not literally a physical death, but a spiritual death, putting off that old man back there in verse 6, that we have been freed from sin. You think about that idea, freed from sin, freed from bondage. Do you ever have a task that you feel like is just hanging over your head and you cannot wait till it's over with? And when it's done, it's just that big relief you think, oh, finally, it's done and over with. How do we imagine sin feels in our life when we finally put it off? We can say that is part of our past. We don't deal with that anymore. We don't worry about the sin in our life or, or what we're going to do about it. Because once we have obeyed the gospel, that weight is lifted. It says in verse 7, we, are, we have been freed from sin. Notice next in verses 8 through about verse 14, we have this idea of dead and alive. Dead and alive. And so we begin by this next one by asking the question, did you die with Christ? You know, a person dies with Christ when they obey the gospel. If you look, jumping down for just a moment, looking at verses 17 and 18, he tells us there, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart and form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, the King James adds the words there, and having then been set free from sin, which is better, uh, more accurate there, because you are then set free when you have obeyed, right? Been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Now we back up here to verse 8. Romans chapter 6, look what he tells us here. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also shall, shall live with him. Knowing that Christ have been, have been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. What Christ did, he did for us, 
And he did it as being an obedient servant of God, as we find there in verse 10, right? We have to remember that Christ came to the earth fully aware of what was waiting for him. He knew the cross was coming. We have to realize that if we are living in sin, if we are not doing as God has commanded us, something else is coming as well. But we can put off that old man. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, he says in verse 12, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. As members of righteousness, instruments of their righteousness to God. We use ourselves as tools for God and not tools for unrighteousness. Look at verse 14. For, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What is he talking about? You know, the old law, for the purpose was to pronounce sentencing. You commit sin, here is the result of it. By the grace of God, however, we have the ability to have our sins forgiven, to have those sins remitted. We find there in verses 10 and 11 that Christ died once for all to conquer death. Christ lives a life that is in the harmony with God's purpose, as we should, should as well. And as we find next, as I get behind me here in my slide, we are to be alive in Christ, right? We rise putting off the old man to death in baptism, to be alive and become instruments of righteousness. And we find next in verse 14, the law condemned being under grace means we now have a way to be forgiven. Under the old law, what do they have to do once a year? They had to what? The sins had to be carried off, right? There was a offering once a year in memory of what? The sins they had committed. I don't know about you, but I don't be reminded of my sins every year. Of course, we are aware of them sometimes, right? Because some things are just, they haunt us over the years. This means we haven't been forgiven of them, but maybe we're disturbed we ever did those things. But when we find a New Testament, the grace that is brought to us by God through Christ, those things are remitted. They are canceled out. Sins are remitted or canceled under the blood of Christ. So being under grace, we now have a way to be forgiven. Yes, they were forgiven in the Old Testament. Those sins were not remitted until the blood of Christ came to wash those things away. When you think about this for a moment, we're only in verse 14. We're going to finish the chapter. But I want you to think about some lessons for us because we find some, and Paul seems in this chapter to really bring this thing home by asking out what did they accomplish in their old way of life. Look at verse 15. He begins by talking about servants to God and how we are to be servants to God. We ask this question, he asks this question in verses 15 and 16 in Romans chapter 6. What, what then shall we, shall we sin because we are, we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. That is the question, right? Grace is not liberty to sin. Yet we have some today in the brotherhood and outside the brotherhood who will say, well, it's okay, you're forgiven. Apart from repentance, that's not found anywhere in the Bible. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So he asked the question, who do you obey? 
Maybe we need to ask ourselves that sometimes. Because as Christians, sometimes we can get swept up in things and realize, you know what? I need to stop doing that quick, fast, and in a hurry, right? I need to abandon those things I've got caught up in, get swept up in. You know, politics is a good way to get people swept up into sinful things. We get fired up about things and we start saying things we ought not. We get fired up about schooling, we say things we ought not. We get fired up about whatever it may be, and we say things sometimes we ought not. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? And he presents two options in verse 16. Whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. There's only two options. Who do we obey? Look at verse 17 now. We find that obedience brings freedom from sin. 16, or excuse me, 17 through 20 there. He says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. How did they obey? Sincerely. Right? From the heart means they obeyed sincerely. It wasn't just, yeah, I get what you're saying. I hear that sometimes, and that's not good enough for God. It was they obeyed from the heart. They were sincere, saying, yes, we need to do something. And thus they obeyed. You obeyed from the heart that form or that pattern of doctrine to which you were delivered. That form there also appears at the end of a mold. It's like having a, a, a mold of the word doctrine there, and they just pour themselves in. They fit that mold, which was delivered to them, that doctrine, that mold of doctrine. Look at verse 18. And having then, I'm going to add the word then the New King James, having then been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So now they're set free from sin because while they've obeyed, verse 17, they're no longer in their bondage of sin. Verse 18, they're now what? Slaves of righteousness. But it wasn't until they obeyed. Look at verse 19. He says here, I speak in human terms because of your because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So you have, there was a time you just gave yourself up to more and more sin. It says now that you give yourself up to God, to righteousness, that will lead you to holiness. Some translations say to sanctification there. You what? You give yourself fully over to God. You want to give yourself fully over to sin. Now it's time to give yourself fully over to God. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What do you think he's talking about? When they were slaves of sin, righteousness was the furthest thing from their mind. It was beyond their reach. They were free from righteousness because they weren't even bothered by it. Be righteous, and we'll do whatever we want. They were free from righteousness. Why? Because they were slaves of sin. We don't want to find ourselves free in regard to righteousness, as he mentions here in verse 20. And then he moves on to this question, verse 21. A life of sin, what does it profit? Look what he asks here in verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit or what profit, what gain did you have by living that sinful life that you are now ashamed of because you have obeyed the gospel? 
Think back, was there anything you gained from that? No. There was nothing gained from that. You know, the world may say freedom to do what they want. Does that mean happiness? Does that mean fulfillment, security, joy, love, care? No, just because you get to do however and whatever you want doesn't guarantee that you actually find any fulfillment, happiness, or joy in any of those things. In reality, that's why they do some of those things they do because they're looking for those. Why does a drunkard drink? Because he's trying to fill a void. Why does a fornicator fornicate? Because he's trying to fill a void. He or she is trying to fill a void of unhappiness. People do things for a reason. And we find here in verse 21, when he asks this question, what profit was there in living in sin? What profit, he says, as the New King James says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? He's not trying to guilt them. He's what he's trying to tell them is you can't commit sin over and over again thinking grace is going to cover it. You can't live like you used to because why? Wow, you're ashamed of that life, of that life, right? You didn't gain anything from it. Look at verse 22. Unlike the previous lifestyle, we find that being servants of God results in holiness and in the end everlasting life. He says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the, and the end everlasting life. Now they find fulfillment. Now they find joy. Now they find the fruit, as he mentions there in verse 21, of their life now, right? What does it bear? Eternal life. What is a life of unfaithfulness bear? Temporary pleasures at best. You know, the Bible tells us of Moses who denied being the daughter, uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, you know, giving up the passing pleasures of sin, right? The pleasures of sin for a season. Because why? Those things were what? Not fulfilling. I mean, we can look at the book of Ecclesiastes in those chapters there and find that man who did so much to try to find happiness fell on his face repeatedly. He even admitted it, but he said it's like grasping for the wind, right? Things? Nope. Women? Nope. Knowledge? Nope. That's why we find in Ecclesiastes those words that we do. What's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, this is man's all. Why? He's tried everything else. We today need to be reminded of that as well at times. Think about this for a moment. Everything has a price, doesn't it? Being in 2023, we go to the grocery store, everything definitely has a price. There are certain things I used to enjoy that I don't bother messing with anymore. But sin also has a price. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it tells us the wage of sin is death. That's what it cost us. Spiritual death. He says, but, that is, there is something we can do about that. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there are some who would say today that, well, see, it's a gift you don't have to do anything. I read an illustration of the day about this verse. And it's about a coach who, every for all his players, he gave them a little gift. I don't remember what it was now. But all of them received a gift. It was a donation style of gift. They didn't, they didn't have to give him anything. He gave them all a gift. 
but it was exclusive to only his players. Who is the gift of God exclusive to? The obedient. See, it doesn't change. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's free. We have to be on God's team to receive it. And we are placed on God's team. We are placed in the body of Christ when we are baptized. We've seen that already in Romans chapter 6. So how do, we, how do we avoid that crazy expensive price of sin? We put on Christ in baptism. And then we are granted that gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which brings us to our closing questions this morning. Are you dead to sin and alive in Christ? There's only two options. You know, we live in a world today that likes to ride the fence, or they say they do. You know, well, you know, I won't take an opinion, or I'll just, you know, I'll stay right here, kind of, whatever, you know. It doesn't work with God. There's a reason why those in the book of Revelation were called, how they were pointed out, they were not hot nor cold, they were just lukewarm. You know why this one of the most disgusting pictures is painted there as Christ spewing them out, or some translations say he vomited them out of his mouth, he would. Because he doesn't want the lukewarm. He makes it very clear either you're with me or you're not. And when it comes to us today, it's not any different. Either we are obedient to God, followers of his word, or we are not. Either we are those who are willing to, to repent of our sin when we, when we commit sins, or we are not. Only by having the, the proper master does one gain heaven. Keep your Bibles open for one more moment. Turn with me again to Romans chapter 6. Now let's ask the question from Romans 6 and verse 16 of who is your master? Again, what does the Apostle Paul say? Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So who is your master? If it's anyone but God, we can't say God without hesitation. But friends, it's time we make a change. This morning, as you think about these things, if we can help you or assist you in the way but to do so, we know what the Bible tells us we must do to put on Christ. We must hear the word of God. We must believe it. We must repent, uh, uh, repent of our sins and confess that Christ is the Son of God. Be immersed in baptism as we've seen in Romans chapter 6. And then be faithful to death. Because friends, if we're not faithful, nothing else matters. We can come every Sunday. We can sit at home every Sunday. Whatever you think, think you can do. But if we're not faithful to God, heaven will be beyond our reach. If we are a Christian, we have allowed sin back into our lives and have gained far more ground than we would like. We're glad to help you with it if we possibly can. Let's give you a sin and sing the song that's been selected.